Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Hi, everybody. Uh, when I recently had uh, a couple of podcast uh, CEU promotions were offered free CEUs for uh, select content tent in uh, February and April, I noticed a real uptake in uh, the in the purchase of uh, IBA and QBA related um, uh, uh, CEUs. Uh, what I also noticed was that when those promotions end, the purchases of the purchasing of both of those types of CEUs. Uh, Dropped almost immediately, um, and uh, and I wondered kind of what was going on. Uh, and after some conversations with some colleagues um, uh, in uh, Pakistan and Nigeria and Ghana in particular, um, I realized that uh, uh, the rates I was charging for CEUs uh, in you know in Canadian dollars um, were a bit too high for some of these locations. Uh, not so much because, you know, these people are living in poverty or anything like that, but more so because of things like the exchange rate and the U.S. dollar kind of being the central um, um, and, and uh, you know, being quite expensive in some of these regions. That in combination with um, some of the sort of, I don't know, sort of systems that are required to, to for, for folks to make payments internationally, the way those systems work in those countries is quite different. Um in any case, uh, I, I'm piloting something uh, this month um, and sort of indefinitely, and we'll see how it goes, where I'm going to be offering IBAO uh, CEUs for 50% off the regular price of all my other CEUs. So if you are an IBAO certificate, um, then uh, you'll be eligible for 50% off simply uh, when you uh, purchase the CEU, just purchase as you normally wouldn't when you get to the final sort of um, last page of the shopping cart, um, there'll be an, on, uh, an option to click IBA and then the 50% uh, discount would be applied to all CEUs. So hopefully that goes well. Uh, I'm not applying it to the QABA CEUs right now because I do know there are a lot of folks in the US that are QABA certified and so this isn't as big of an issue. Um, certainly if, if folks are struggling in, in some of these countries um, for the similar reason, please reach out to me and I'm happy to uh, to look at something individually. Thanks everybody for listening and take care. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Ramen. On the pod- on the podcast today, we've got uh, Dr. Michael Mueller on the show. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. Or- Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is a, a, a different kind of episode uh, for me. Um, and I Normally, don't need to do this during an episode, but I, I thought just for sake of transparency, I'll declare a little conflict of interest in this one, uh, in that uh, we're going to be talking today about all about uh, the International Behavior Analyst Organization, um, and uh, of of which uh, uh, Mike is the uh, the uh, is it CEO or ED? What's the executive title? director? Executive director, and. Uh, I uh, I happened upon uh, you know the the, the IBAO um, and we'll, we'll we'll I'll let Mike kind of tell this story in more detail what kind of when it when it first uh, sort of came into fruition and uh, 
was excited about the idea. We'll talk about why it's in existence and all that sort of thing momentarily as well. But um, I uh, sort of put my name in, in the hat to join uh, the professional advisory uh, board um, and uh, early on and uh, as sort of a representative from Canada, even though, you know, we're not really affected by the reasons for this, this organization. It was it was nice to just to be a part of it, but um, I'm really uh, wa- happy to kind of get into it and kind of uh, explain to folks, you know, uh, where it came from and uh, and what it's all about. Uh, kind of before we get into that, Mike, I, I wouldn't mind just get. I'd like to get a little bit of a, a, a an origin story from folks and kind of you know how they got into the field and 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 uh, and kind of what what led them to the work you're doing now. So maybe tell us a little bit about uh, how how you got an ABA. Uh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I don't, <laughs> everybody gets in, uh, in different ways. And a lot of the people that I know got in because they are impacted in some way, uh, typically by a, a relative or close friend or something like that, uh, of a child with autism. Um, mine's quite different. I had a, um, I was I went to West Virginia University for undergrad in psychology. Really, just because I, I found it interesting. Uh, I didn't have you know lofty dreams of being a behavior analyst. I, I, as it turns out, West Virginia University is a very, very powerful behavior analytic program. So the the, mm. the faculty and, and graduate students there uh, were really deep into behavior analysis. I didn't even appreciate at the time the differences in different you know types of psychology. Um, sure. So I, I was kind of pushed in, in this direction and uh, the, uh, formed some, some good relationships with some of the grad students there, but it was all experimental stuff. Um, I ended up doing like an mm. undergrad honors thesis where we injected rats with cocaine and I spent a lot of time uh, in, you know, dark laboratories, um, you know, watching little beeps and clicks and um, it was like a rat lab kind of environment. Mm. And... I thought at the time that's really what I wanted to do. I loved the scientific part. I loved, uh, you know, all, all of mm. the research that was that I understood at that point that was going mm. into all of those um, different studies and the, the, the very kind of basic aspects of what it is we do now in an applied in an applied sense. Mm. Um, I also had a couple opportunities to uh, do some applied experiences which were, they just felt a lot different when you're out in the sun and you're working with cute little kids and you're not just in a box all day and you can really do the same things as it turns out uh, in an applied way and, you know, feel good about your impact uh, on society. Uh, And I saw these people making really good contributions to literature and that's then kind of how I shifted gears from wanting to be an experimental researcher and probably a faculty member somewhere to wanting to do things in a more applied way that had a more direct impact on things that had a more tangible um, improvement in people's lives. Hmm. So, uh, but you probably, you probably weren't injecting the kids with cocaine. We hadn't yet. No, <laughs> no, not yet. But you know, <laughs> some of those studies were, um, you know, I, I would, I think anybody that does an undergraduate, uh, you know, honors thesis or anything like that. They are, they mm. have been granted the ability to help a faculty's research in some way. And they're kind of designated yes. a pseudo lead, although, you know, technically you're not. So it wasn't my, wasn't no. my study. I was really not the principal, but I yeah, was just yeah. tagged with uh, being the lead helper. It's probably the best way to put it. Gotcha. 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 
So at what point could, I mean, you've obviously, you've got your, your PhD and your BCPAD. So, you know, what got you to go from, you know, undergrad to graduate school and eventually to PhD? Were you, were, were you, were you practicing at all during that time? Or where I've talked to quite a few folks. Um, it's so different in the States, I think, because like you said, you have these programs where you can actually do undergrad work and behavior analysis um, and kind of, and many folks will do that. And then they'll stay in the same school and do their masters and stay at the same school, and do their PhD. And then maybe eventually they'll actually, you know, work with people or they'll just start doing research. So what was kind of your pathway to, to, to the PhD and beyond? Uh, you know, at risk now of, of looking back and being really naive about the process, I, I really was much more interested in playing hockey while I was in college <laughs> <laughs> than right. doing anything academic. And you get to a point where then you realize, like, you're not going to go past your, your college hockey career. Uh, and you have an undergraduate yeah. degree in psychology, which yeah. when people get into psychology, they probably don't realize that there's not a million things you can do with an undergraduate degree in psychology. So Agreed. all of the all of the choices that seemed to be available had you you know had to come with additional education, which also at the time I really hadn't considered. I didn't go into college thinking this mm. is step one and there's going to be a master's and a PhD. You sure. kind of get to a point where you realize if you're going to do any of the stuff that you're interested in, you have to go on. So it was I wouldn't say it was like a last minute decision, but it did I think occur to me anyway fairly late in the game and probably later than it should have. Uh, so I applied to uh, hmm. a, some programs and uh, got into a couple, but just didn't feel right about it. And then also got rejected from some. Um, I was also quite naive about the GRE process and mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. the studying that goes into that. <laughs> so uh, I, I was yeah. afforded a, a really, really awesome opportunity uh, by one of my uh, faculty at West Virginia, Mike Perone, who is... Hmm. Uh, very, very well known, and especially in the experimental circles, stimulus equivalents, things mm. like that, uh, to go to the University of Kansas at Parsons and work with mm. Kate Saunders and Dean Williams, who are also, uh, you know, top of the field in stimulus equivalents, especially with uh, human. So mm. I did a, mm. uh, after bachelor's degree, pre-graduate uh, school, like a post baccalaureate experience for about a year and a half at the University of Kansas, where I actually I actually mm. did study for and appreciate the GRE. I went back and like audited a stats class at a community college, um, learned the ins and outs of stimulus equivalents and uh, research applications and, and human applications, uh, and learned how to brew beer. So it was a well rounded year and a half, uh, and then I reapplied during that year. Um, with a with with a better appreciation for what I wanted to do, you kind of mature a little bit, especially as you're putting in a lot of time and a lot of effort to prepare for your next stage. So yep. um, I was now better informed that in psychology, there are certain disciplines that can lead to getting a license in psychology. And you have to also appreciate this was, mm -hmm. um, you know, 1996, 1997. <laughs> there was no BCBA. Mm -hmm. The only... Right. Um, I guess billing sources, if you will, would be um, faculty consultation. Uh, and, and those contracts mm. were, were typically worked out with the universities. Uh, or you had to have a license in psychology in order to bill 
insurance companies. So having a license in psychology was looked at as a good thing back then because there, there was another, there was a, a way to, you know, have a salary basically. Um, yeah. In school psychology, counseling psychology, and clinical psychology, three disciplines within psychology that you can get a license. Um, hmm. So like experimental and educational and, you know, IO and all these other, you know, important branches of psychology, you can't, those cannot lead to licensure. Um, clinical gotcha. psychology programs basically don't exist in a behavioral, you know, philosophical um, presentation. Um, right. They're kind of anti-theoretical, most of them. Counseling right. psychology, more or less the same way. There's not like behaviorally oriented or behavior analytic counseling psychology programs. Uh, but there mm -hmm. are some in school psychology. And a lot, actually a lot of very prolific, well-known um, behavior analysts are, have school psychology PhDs. Hmm. Um, so that's the route that I went. So during this year, I applied at uh, the handful of, you know, behavioral or behavior analytic uh, kind of oriented school psychology programs mm -hmm. and uh, ended mm -hmm. up getting into the University of Southern Mississippi and decided to go there. Gotcha. Okay. And then, and I, I'm not looking to get into this too much. This, this is certainly be a, a topic for a different conversation, but um, at some point, uh, I know for some folks here, uh, sort of pre-IBAO, you were kind of associated with um, the AFLS, the uh, uh, Assessment of Functional Living yeah. Skills. I, I don't know much about it. Uh, were you involved in, did, did, did you, are, are you one of the, the creators of that or are you the creator of that? Or what's what's sort of that story? Uh, yeah, I, I would say the, the creator of, uh, the original idea, I think, started with me, and then I'm a co-author. So right. Dr. Jim Partington okay. and I uh, co-wrote right. all of the, well, the, the, the guide gotcha. and the six protocols. But that that's a relatively interesting story, too. Probably, I don't know about beyond, beyond the scope of this meeting relative to IBAO, but that was, um, uh, you know, our practice at the time had a, we, we have, well, my clinical practice is 90% in public school. Uh, we consult uh, on severe behavior cases in public school settings. So kind of the, the, the most destructive behavior that, that goes on in public schools, those are the cases that we get. That's always been my um, applied niche more than anything else. But when you get these, you get these cases and, and, and solve them and, and reduce problem behavior so that they're, it's not interfering or, or preventing kids from learning anything, then you realize they're really not, a lot of them aren't really being taught anything in, in the first place it's all just kind of defensive strategies and suppression or whatever yes um yes. and then you go okay well what is relevant to teach this group um which is broad and i'm not trying to homogenize it but there there are a lot of the the folks who are especially a little bit older um more their disability maybe has a more severe impact on language and communication and cognitive abilities mm -hmm. um there, there wasn't really anything. So everybody was relying back on essentially the ABLES. And mm. the ABLES is a, is a, you know, a developmentally normed assessment from zero to five. So if you have a 10 year old, 13 year old, 15 year old, um, even if you're mm -hmm. trying to follow this, do an assessment, let the results of the assessment guide, you know, what it is you teach, or at least help you in that direction. I know there's a lot of converse, conversation mm -hmm. around that. 
but not to be controversial about, you know, using the results of an assessment to create a teaching program. That, mm. um, there wasn't sure. anything to use. And uh, so people were, were you know, pulling the skills out of thin air or using the results of assessments that weren't really relevant to this population. Um, mm -hmm. And there just seemed to be a really big gap. And, and ha having worked in the schools, we were trying to teach people or establish at least, you know, that schools should also assess first, then create programs. Assess first, then create programs. So it's yes. not just IEP teams sitting around going, oh, let's get them to write his name. Let's get them to do this and that, that which they may not have the prerequisite skills for. So do an assessment, let that mm -hmm. guide you practice. And then you get all these kids that are like, okay, what assessment do you want us to use? And there's no good answer. Mm -hmm. So that's what sort of led um, me uh, approaching Jim Partington about there really needs to be something else, a second one, a follow-up of something. That's kind of how we initially uh, conceptualized it and then ended up um, agreeing to and then creating the uh, AFLs. That was like the 2010 through 2000, 2015, mm. basically. Well, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I was kind of curious actually where it all came from. I, I mean, yeah, obviously you don't want to sort of generalize and assume everybody needs the same thing, but I think you're right. I mean, in school settings, you come in and, you know, deal with, you know, sort of severe level behaviors or whatever. And the assumption is that, you know, okay, these are the ones blocking learning. The assumption is now they're, they're, they're happily going to learn. But the, the problem often is, is that, you know, especially if you're into sort of that adolescent range, um, you know, these kids have probably had these kinds of problems for most of their school lives and have probably spent most of their school lives, you know, you know, in, in sort of these, you know, either, either isolated, um, you know, seclusion, depending on how old they are, you know, how how far back you're going, actually not really depending on how far back you're going, it's still happening today. Um, and, or, or, you know, in some sort of, you know, kind of play type, you know, random activity setting um uh and then like you said yeah these ieps have often have really random goals of sort of well you know someday they might need to say hi or write their name or ring a doorbell so let's teach that um but what's that related to anything else and you know and how can you kind of you know develop a teaching plan for multiple years you know um you don't you know every year they're writing their name <laughs> every year they're tracing the alphabet and that sort of thing and we and anyone who works in schools has, has certainly seen that and obviously there are examples of of settings where that's not happening and that's great but certainly back in your day that would have that would have been there you know back in the 90s that would have certainly and, and beyond that would have been a, a commonplace thing so yeah, and, and makes and, and I I had I did not know that you uh, you you worked primarily sort of in the school setting, which makes a whole lot of sense. That's sort of you know the impetus to kind of develop this kind of curriculum. So yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know the the other the, the other the other side to that is uh, when you have a, a long term uh, relationship with some of the schools, and you literally see the same kids yeah. doing the same thing for year after year mm, after year. The mm -hmm. classroom may change, the teacher may change, but they're just sort of stuck in this uh, totally unproductive, um, you know, rut. <laughs> and you go in and you talk to the teachers yeah. like, what are we doing today? Yeah, like you have this kid seven hours a day, you know what I mean, for a really long time. What are we doing mm -hmm. to legitimately 
help and improve their skill set, make them more independent, teach language, teach communication, not just pass them along to the mm -hmm. next year. Um, and they're uh, they're struggling, like you said. It's it, I think it yeah. was probably worse at one point. It's not awesome now. Many places, it's still no. you can still find the same same thing so uh, it's nice when you can get in and make a difference and i think this particular tool yeah. has um, opened people's eyes to uh, at least in, in many situations to what's really important for different groups of people uh there has been a mentality in the past it's like if you start the ables assessment you don't come off of that until all this all the different cells have been filled in uh, and it can lead to mm. some really damaging situations of, in my opinion when when you're stuck on teaching skills for, you know, I have a 17 year old doing you know, letter sounds and shape mm -hmm. sorters and these, these types of things, instead of mm -hmm. learning to, uh, you know, to try to make it on their own. That's what's important. Well, yeah. And I mean, part of the reason, you know, I think we infantilize sort of, you know, some of these older folks is, is because all of our curricula and teaching tools are, are four, four and five-year-olds. And so, we're, you know, we're, we're still giving them the five-year-old storybook and so on and so forth. My, uh, you know, prior to kind of doing what I'm doing now, my, most of my experience is working with adults in kind of group homes and residential settings. And, you know, and as we know, it's not much different today. There's, there's not a lot of funding or opportunity. I think it's gotten a little better sort of in recent years, but uh, there's not a lot of opportunities for these folks to sort of learn, you know, some of these kind of basic skills. And then they end up being in sort of these 24-hour care settings, often one or two-to-one staffing to do sort of, you know, basic skills. And, you know, of, of you know whether it's using the bathroom and brushing your teeth or eating a meal and and let alone sort of, you know, um, uh, you know interacting with other people. And so, you know, I'm, I often had a lot of resentment towards schools that, you know, these, 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 these they have a ton of funding, you know, we're, we're told that, uh, at least in our area that, you know, uh, in Canada, I'm in Canada, so we don't have insurance. So we have this sort of funding model for kids under six. And then we're told that that funding model actually continues till they're 18. But what happens is the money goes to the schools, mm. um, you know, so the dedicated autism specific money goes to the schools and what really happens is it, it's, you know, it's used to, to, for other things. It's not used for, you know, that individual. Um, and, you know, and so I said like resentment, I, I resented that there was so much opportunity in these school settings to do all the things that you, that you mentioned exactly, you know, you know, we do not have to teach them to sit in an English lit class, you know, and, and, and be quiet for 45 minutes. Let's, let's, you know, let's take advantage of the fact that we have a community around this school. Let's learn some street crossing and, you know, and learn some, you know, sort of some basic things so that maybe they don't have to be in a 24-hour group home when they turn 19, um, which is also, you know, to, and, and I, I won't rant too often because I know you got to go eventually. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, just some of the stuff that we focus on um, in, 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 uh, with these adults is, is, is really frustrating. So I'm really glad that, you know, folks like yourself, you know, took it upon to kind of do that. And I have seen folks use things like the AFOLs and there's some other ones now, you know, with adults. I mean, they do what they, they are applicable to the 19, 20, 25 year old, you know, and, and I think that's really nice too, because they're, it might've been intended for the teenager, but you know, a lot of that applies, you know, into adulthood. Absolutely. Yeah. It's throughout the lifespan. And <clears throat> excuse me, if you can find, um, funding or 
interest or, uh, you know, obviously as kids get older, the, the funding and opportunity uh, for instruction decreases, which is sad, mm -hmm. which also I think kind of feeds into uh, what, you know, the reason why most behavior analysts do what they do is because there's funding for it and that funding is, is always sort of ratcheted mm -hmm. down towards the you know, early uh, intensive mm -hmm. behavior intervention, which is awesome, obviously. Uh, but the need doesn't stop mm -hmm. in the early part. And um, most, at least, mm -hmm. you know, everybody that has long-term experiences with uh, whoever they serve probably is, you know, biased in that direction. We have um, our, our population that we support uh, more, you know, more dangerous behavior, lower language, probably lower cognitive abilities. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And our, that, that population, the, the needs are lifelong. And so when, when funding mm -hmm. and opportunity mm -hmm. go down, you, you have a lot of people whose instruction just pauses at a certain time, whether that's, you know, mm -hmm. end of high school or whatever else and whatever skills they leave with, that's basically what they have going forward. So it, it mm -hmm. is quite um, sad sometimes to see kids get to that point and not be ready. Um, and it's mm -hmm. very, uh, you, you have a, a, a totally different feeling of optimism when you see kids who are prepared to go on to the next stage because they have these things and it has positively in, impacted, you know, living arrangements and social opportunities and locational opportunities and the things mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. you know, that, mm -hmm. that, that people need to, uh, you know, to be independent. Well, I think also there's, you know, we talked about early intervention being so valuable and important, but you know, and I've talked about this in a lot of other episodes around, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of barriers to folks even, you know, getting early intervention, let alone getting a diagnosis, especially if you're, you know, you know, uh, you know, a person of color or from any kind of, you know, minority kind of background. And so, you know, I have to, I mean, I work with a lot of folks that, you know, didn't even get their diagnosis till age seven, eight or nine because either wait lists or access or whatever. And then all of a sudden there's none of those services are available. So again, to have, you know, you know, some, 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 you know, some systems and some, you know, assessment tools available after six that can still, you know, give some families a bit of hope, yeah. you know, uh, kind of going forward. And it also speaks to, you know, and, and, you know, as, as a bit of a segue here, um, you know, most of this conversation is, is North American, you know, um, you know, uh, the access to services, the systems that are in place, um, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, certainly we have a lot of barriers here, but, you know, looking at countries around the world where, you know, you know, ABA hasn't had 50 years to develop. It's had, you know, five years or, or 10 years or two years or just now, or, or thanks to the organization, they're just kind of getting into those sorts of things. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, there, 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 there's a bigger picture. Um, so what, what I, what I really want to talk about today is, is, is the IBAO, the International Behavior Analyst Organization. Um, um, and I think it's, 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 uh, it's helpful. I think that you, you know, when you're talking about sort of your origin story and kind of, you know, getting your, your psych psychology license and whatnot and, and how there wasn't a BACB back then and there wasn't, you know, funding models and all these sorts of things available. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, 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 it's important that, you know, if someone's going in and trying to create something like this, you know, that they're, they're aware of that history either by talking to people or actually experiencing it. And I think it's great that you, you, you were around before the BACB. Um, and so, you know, you have that perspective to kind of bring to the table. 
Um, I know maybe we could start by just talking a bit about, um, um, you know, I think some folks, a lot of folks listening will know why, but some, I think some won't. Um, um, what is the IBAO and, 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 and why did you want to, want to, want to, want to create, create this organization? Are you a BCBA supervisor looking to streamline your practice? Or maybe you're working towards your BCBA and need to find the right supervisor. Homehouse offers tools that make supervision so much more enjoyable for both supervisor and supervisee. For supervisors, they offer easy meeting documentation, competency tracking, monthly verification forms, a built-in supervision curriculum, and so much more. For supervisees, Homehouse has a fieldwork tracker with built-in auditing, monthly verification forms, a curriculum, quizzes, and more. If you're looking for a supervisor, they even have a supervision marketplace where you can connect with BCBAs until you find your perfect match. Kind of like professional dating. For more information, go to whomhouse.com forward slash speak or search whomhouse on Google. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is international. Uh, the IBAO is a, a organization that provides two different certifications, one for behavior analysts and one for uh, behavior therapists. It was uh, created in the beginning of 2020, really in a direct uh, response to the BACB's decision to stop providing certifications outside of North America. Uh, and when I say that, there's a little asterisk by that UK, Australia have at least a provisional um, continuance through mm-hmm. 2025. I know they're, they're both working on their own thing, so it may not matter, but um, mm-hmm. North America, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, and uh, I have really through through APHLS, I've had um, some great opportunities to train uh, and consult internationally. So I had some firsthand mm-hmm. appreciation of the differences of uh, the way, I don't know, uh, public perception about disabilities, public perceptions about autism, uh, use, acceptance, familiarity with ABA uh, in, in, uh, as an intervention. Um, you know, it's, you, you get used to, uh, in the United States, being able to see, like, you watch a football game, right, on, on Sunday afternoon, and you might see an Autism Speaks commercial or, or a commercial mm. or a public advertisement kind of dispelling myths and things like this. Like there's a, there's a very well-funded uh, educational um, program, may not be the best word, but it, it's out there. there there's uh, commercials and, you know, radio spots and things like this that, that mm-hmm. educate mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. and make people aware of the, just the, the general, uh, you know, notion that, of, of what uh, is appropriate and inappropriate information around autism, right? I mean, you don't you don't see like ABAI and BACB doing these things, but autism in general, which one sort of sort of mm-hmm. informs the next. Other other places, right. uh, you know, not only don't they have that, they don't have special you know federal special education laws like the United States and Canada has. They don't have the same uh, view of rights and things like that. It, it's it's very very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I think perceptions of people with autism and disabilities, um, you know, is worse, services for, for how to help and appropriate interventions are also uh, less common because it's just 
Um, mm-hmm. People are not quite as public uh, about some of these things. Uh, but anyway, I had a, I've had that, you know, different opportunities to, to kind of feel this um, myself. I didn't really appreciate um, at that time um, how difficult it was in many places for people to even attempt to get certifications through the DOCD, mm-hmm. living internationally, um, mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons. Um, and when uh, I was doing a training in the very, very beginning of January 2020 in the Republic of Moldova, um, and they had uh, they had just gained some, I guess they had just got approved for grant money through a UN program to eventually send a couple of people to the U.S. to get trained, um, come back certified. But it was going to be a multi-year approach, and, and they you know they they didn't have the funding yet. They had been approved for it, but that approval uh, mm-hmm. was not going to be able to meet the um, the deadline set by the BACB. And so I was there when they were really kind of figuring this out and, and, and doing the math on it and looking at the calendar kind of stuff. And they were pr- really crushed. Mm. Um, the mm. organization that I was over there to train uh, was, for, uh, was formed. It started by uh, the mother of the first individual in Moldova who was diagnosed with autism. And that wow. first diagnosis was 2006. Oh my gosh. Now, I, don't, I wouldn't sit here and say that was the first person with autism, but I think, you know, it just kind of sure. speaks to that was the, that was the first time, you know, maybe, maybe parents weren't seeking that diagnosis uh, or, uh, you know, physicians weren't, uh, weren't, weren't, you know, getting it, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. But that's really, you know, that's, yeah. that's relatively uh, recent, you know, 2006 in this, this field. So, yeah, you know, they're not that they're, can't be obviously ABA is much bigger uh, than autism. You know, it's, it's actually funny that would, that's always the qualification, but uh, I wish I had the actual numbers, but it's gotta be at least 90% of the people on ABA, uh, not behavior analysis mm-hmm. in general, but applied behavior analysis gotta be yes. 90%, 90% yeah. plus uh, I am actually guessing, but that would be my guess. Um, it's, it's probably pretty high. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, you know, especially probably internationally without, autism, you're not going to have ABA, most likely, right? We're not doing the sports mm-hmm. applications. Mm-hmm. We're not doing OBM applications and these kind of things. Um, right. So that means probably the field wasn't even around or known about or anything else until at least then, too. So like you said, not everybody mm-hmm. has the, like a 50-year history of ABA. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, really kind of re- relatively mm-hmm. new. Um, and not just in small circles, too. I mean, you know, but it's... It, Think about this. I, I I don't know, you know, where you live, but if I if I walked out into my into a local mall, right, and just stopped random people and like, mm. you know, what's applied behavior analysis? I don't think most people. I don't think mm-hmm. most people know. I don't think most people are going to have a, a mm-hmm. just a good impression, right, and like recalling, you know, the way that we dress and the way that we talk and our education level and our ethics and these kind of things. I don't. I don't think people in general have a recognition of what ABA is um, just to, you know, the average Joe on the street type of thing. Um, and so you, you can, you know, and that's with us having a 50 year history, right? So when someone mm-hmm. has a 10 year history, I mean, there's, it's, it's an uphill climb. Um, it, it was an uphill climb for a lot of folks to attempt the certifications because of cost 
educational requirements, language issues, translation issues, all these kind of different things. And mm. so it was very, very difficult. So when this particular group kind of fought against all that, got funding, uh, and then had that sort of dashed out, they this was a very, very fresh emotion um, in this room. Uh, and when they were explaining it to me, it really, I mean, it was, very, it was you know, palpable. You, could, you couldn't sit there and not really feel their their anguish. They were... They were, they were really upset by it. Um, hmm. And that really moved me. And um, I didn't appreciate at the time, you know, how how common, not identical, but how common some of these feelings were um, with, with people all over the place. So when I got back, I started talking to, it was like this, this thing that I, I couldn't get rid of it. You know what I mean? It was like, mm-hmm. I started mm-hmm. talking to other people uh, who had very similar experiences. Um, other people who consult and do training and things like that, or or, or are abroad, you know, just practicing. Uh, and there was kind of a unanimous, mm-hmm. yeah, these, these things are kind of existing all over the place, and it's difficult. And I, um, I actually, uh, you know, contacted the group in Moldova and tried to convince them to create a certification that kind of took all those things uh, into place. And they, you know, between mm-hmm. you know, the idea of not having enough bandwidth and really kind of being afraid to to take it on they, they said no and i'm thinking then well mm-hmm. someone's going to you know i, I i'd like mm-hmm. to be a part of this because i think we could do it in, in a way that addresses what it is the uh you know the international community needs because i do think it's it is a little bit different i know it is a little bit different now um, so that, that was mm-hmm. the uh, that was the impetus for starting the organization um and when we started, we, we knew we had kind of a three-year uh, run-up period to, to get ready you know, for what, you know, what, what the date that just passed was essentially the starting line for us. Yeah. Wow. So, I'm curious sort of, I get, I get sort of access to training. That's one thing, you know. So, you know, I think there's a lot of folks and I think still today there's a, a lot of folks from around the world that are you know uh, and you know I think COVID probably helped in a way to in terms of more online programs there's there's lots of ways that folks you know in part of any part of the world if they've got a decent enough internet connection can you know um, you know and, and the funding that is you know that they can they can get trained in behavior analysis you know they don't have to come to the U.S. anymore I know that used to be the case for a lot of folks that you know, I've interviewed quite a few folks that have, you know, many that are on the, some that are on the board and some that are not that have, you know, had to, that came overseas and went to school here in, in the U.S. or in Canada or whatever. Uh, but now, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty accessible. Why isn't that enough? Like what, what I understand in, 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 in North America and in the U.S. in particular, and more, and it's starting to be a, th- a thing more so in Canada, why, sort of certification is necessary and it, you know, it, 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 it equates a lot to sort of insurance funding and sort of and licensure and all those sorts of things. But why does someone in Moldova or Botswana or anywhere else need a certification in behavior analysis? Uh, well, the short answer is nobody needs it. Maybe only hmm. recently in the U.S. for funding purposes, but that's not why certifications exist. They've that's a that's a benefit I think over a long period mm. of time, but that that's not why that's not why mm. they were started. Um, you know, the first the the question about access uh, 
is an important one and that that's that's a barrier so in order to get a bcpa you have to have a master's degree right. uh, any verified course sequence uh, has to be from a credit bearing institution there were some, there were a couple you know exceptions to that uh, internationally but more or less um mm -hmm. it's it's that 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 people don't have a lot of access to in their native language at home master's mm. level ABA classes around the world um, are few and far between. Um, mm. So if someone's going to take advantage of online classes here, um, beyond the stable internet connection, you're talking between 10 and $20,000 and it's in English. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it, it mm -hmm. has created uh, for right and wrong. And you can look back historically through, you know, science throughout the ages or whatever. And there's always been a language of science and, uh, it is uh, English for ABA, but it, when you kind of step back from that and you realize that, you know, to be a behavior analyst, you have to be an, a, a fluent English speaker, writer, and exam taker. Uh, and that is really patently yes. unfair uh, to a lot of people who maybe they can hold a conversation, maybe they can't, but why is the expectation that they have to, to do behavior analysis? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And... So with a lack of test centers, uh, you know, uh, natural, uh, you know, native language programs, costs, mm. um, and because they are not required, it has, it's a, it's a lot of hoops to jump through for a lot of different people in a lot of different places to get there. Um, so why, why would someone do that? Um, mm. The BACB, did a fantastic job of uh, kind of establishing the need for certification. So why do people get certified in the first place? Basically, uh, the way that I look at it, and there's there's you know other moving parts to this, but I think primarily it's a uh, a very basic level of community protection. The more uh, mm -hmm. people who are providing ABA services, the more people who are going to be doing that poorly. The more people who are going to be mm -hmm. doing that without uh, the required education, experience, knowledge, et cetera, that the field should establish as kind of an industry standard. Um, mm -hmm. So when without certifications, there, let's say there's 100 people providing ABA services, maybe 80 of them have done sort of all, all the right moves uh, educationally and in their, in their history to gain the right experiences and, and supervision, all these kind of things. Mm. And there's mm. 20 that haven't. How is a uh, consumer of these services supposed to tell the, di tell mm. the difference? Yes. Because there are quote unquote experts all around the world who are literally providing these services and, and it's horrible. It's harmful. It's dangerous. It's unethical. It's not applied behavior analysis. It's not based on behavior analysis. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, mm -hmm. it's really damaging the reputation in some areas. And there's no way to distinguish mm -hmm. that person from the next person. So mm -hmm. once mm -hmm. you can kind of get that, that stamp that, hey, I've done the right educational practices. I have uh, the right experiential mm -hmm. practices, supervision. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've agreed to, uh, to practice ethically. I've been tested on this information. So I have a knowledge base and these kinds of things. Once more people in the community have that. So let's say the 80 people now have that and the 20 people don't. It's a lot easier for the for the consumers to tell who's inside and who's outside of this bubble of industry standards. 
Uh, obviously, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean mm-hmm. you can't have a certified person, you know, you know, behaving badly or practicing poorly or whatever it may be. But as a general starting point, you can find out, you know, who, who was a plumber who decided to, to hang a shingle and provide ABA services and who has dedicated, you know, a, a, the, sort of the blood, sweat and tears to get to a place where the field has said, this is where you, this is really the minimum requirements to start practicing. Um, that, that is, you know, the, the most basic uh, form of, of protection. The other way I look at it, too, is uh, it's kind of from the opposite side as well. I think it's really important for the people who have, you know, made those sacrifices, who have gone to school, whether it's a master's degree or just the core sequences, who have, uh, you know, worked and, and, and done practice hours and they've been supervised or paid for supervision. They've studied for these exams, which now it's a whole other expense. Um, supervision can be another expense and whatever mm-hmm. people, I, I saw, I was talking to some, some test prep people and it's almost, uh, there, there's almost nobody that just kind of rolls right from their grad program and supervision in, into the BACB exams. Most people use some kind of test prep, which adds another, you know, layer of mm-hmm. expense. So anyway, people have done all these different things and dedicated their life to this. And I think it's a recognition for this. Um, you know, so I, I got my PhD in 2002, I got my BCBA in 2002. I've, I've, I felt like when I got my BCBA, it, it really put the PhD part into focus. It really Mm. kind of made others know that my PhD was relevant to this specific kind of sub specialty. Yes. Um, And it was very, very meaningful to me. I mean, I felt, you know, there, there was, we are proud to be behavior analysts. We called ourselves behavior analysts before the, before we had BCBAs, but now this was kind of like this mm-hmm. official tag that, that you got that, yep. that now showed, you know, the general community, like, oh, this guy's a behavior analyst. He's not just whatever, you know, psychological PhD, whatever. Um, so I was, um, I, I was incredibly uh, enthusiastic about getting it. Um, and I know other people feel the same way. So I think it, it is a recognition, not that you went to grad school, not that you did X, Y, and Z, but specifically this particular field, you know, has said, you're one of us. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really, really cool. Um, you brought up a lot of good points around you know, especially around the language, you know, so doing stuff in your native language and you're right, there aren't, there haven't been, you know, programs in sort of these other languages that have been available. Now, and I think this sort of speaks to the the point that the IBAO doesn't just provide or hasn't just been providing certifications. Um, You've been kind of developing, you know, or, or developing or working with other folks from other countries to develop um, sort of the the infrastructure to to obtain these certifications. And so a lot of the work that it, it, it seems like, you know, the bulk of the work wasn't actually creating, you know, a, a certification for a behavior analyst and a therapist. It seems like that, you know, I mean, that was, there was just some stuff there, but I think a lot of that you could have, you know, I, I mean, I, I know I was involved in some of it and you, and, and by no means were we, 
you know, copying and pasting from from the BACB or and that sort of thing. But we definitely had some some templates to kind of work off of and 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 sort of you know maybe make some decisions and make things kind of more contextually fit for you know uh, these different sorts of areas. But you you and and the board have done a incredible amount of work helping folks develop these trainings these trainings in all these countries in all these different languages can you talk a little bit about that because i think that's something that i don't think folks are are are, are aware of I, I think folks just think that the, the ibao is is a you know you're doing i think you're doing a good job with your social media and your promotion these days kind of getting that out but i think for a while folks just thought you know these were folks that just created uh, uh pieces of paper that had i in it instead of you know, uh, instead of BC or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. We've, um, you know, if you remember back to some of the, the initial, uh, sort of board wide, um, meetings that we had, some of them, you know, were yeah. really established. What are the barriers that and obstacles that we need to take into consideration for all the things that we do moving forward? One of the things, mm. like I mentioned was cost. Another one was lack mm. of uh, opportunity opportunity yes. locally to uh, you know to get the training. So IBAO, although technically you can, there needs to be firewalls in place. But our decision was not to provide the training itself. Right? We could have created a group of people mm -hmm. and say, "Here's the training," stuck it on a, a, a really you know kind of slick LMS, have people go through it take our exam, et cetera, um, decided not to do that. Mm. Um, but, but you could, mm. you could, you could do a, you know, you could do coursework and, and do an exam. Um, so mm. how could we impact the growth of providers, uh, without doing it ourselves? Mm. And part of mm. the reason that there were, uh, restrictions, uh, restrictions may not be the best, but part, part of the reason that why there were so few providers in different places was the fact that you had to be a university or a college with few exceptions um, to be a provider. Mm. Now, right. I've talked to people on both sides of the fence about this, and some people are really sort of diehard, like you have to be a university or college. Anything else is substandard. Mm. Uh, I don't I don't agree mm. with that. Our professional advisory board didn't agree with that. And, and so mm -hmm. personally, the, you know, my view about it was uh, – a lot of the, well, if you go back kind of historically, uh, when I was training, there there were no online programs in ABA. They just, they literally didn't exist. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. If you wanted to study this field, you had to basically move to a university town, give up, you know, three to five years of your life, find the right fit, you know, research-wise yep. and faculty-wise, yep. and you... You, know, sure. you were their underling until you until you came out, and yep. even back in uh, well, I graduated in two thousand two. There were a lot of people who expressed real like disappointment in me or or with me for not going into faculty because at the time there was like there was like a totally different mindset around what is behavior analysis and what is applied behavior analysis? And it was like this, the mm -hmm. concept was almost like, this is just the pure science, right? It needs to be at a university level. You need to study it there. Mm -hmm. You need to do research to benefit the world. And if you go into private practice, you're, 
kind of bastardizing that to some extent because there's hmm. this other motive out there and how are you not contributing in a way to this you know the, hmm. the big bright light that is science as a pure pursuit and uh mm -hmm. it was it was difficult a little bit like you like there were people who were almost like well you're not in a faculty position you're not doing research uh even though we were occasionally but it was like you know sort of looked down upon a little bit like you don't have a nih grant to do this research this is more like scientist practitioner stuff you're, you're doing these studies as they come up um but there was, there was a, a difference between what it meant to to practice then than it does now uh, mm -hmm. there were not there was no you know historically if you go back there, there was no advertising there was no marketing there was no social mm. media there weren't cutesy names and rainbows and butterflies and like there was there wasn't an <laughs> industry there was no profession around yeah. it i mean this was all yeah. tied to university yeah. laboratories more or less um and, and faculty consultation that's not the case now right so the, the like the, mm. the the older you know people in this field and I, unfortunately throwing myself into that um we have a different there's a, a lot of a lot of us have a different attitude about what it means to sort of be properly trained. And if you mm -hmm. if you move that into today's world, there's a conflict. Uh, but if you you know the, the majority, I think I just saw a stat: fifty-eight percent of behavioral analysts are, are trained on online only programs. So the majority mm. of people get their education mm. online. It's just come a long a long way, yeah. and it's different now than it was in the past. Yeah. And of those programs, I, I'm not aware that all of those programs have, you know, full-time dedicated, you know, tenured faculty. A lot of these are adjunct faculty. You teach a course here. I mean, I've been I've been offered these yep. teaching spots dozens of times over my career from, from different universities, mm. and and so I know mm. other people who have done that as well. So th these are a lot of full-time practitioners who do, you know, a class here or there in the evenings or whatever it happens to be. So. If you're qualified, if you have the information, you have the, the right education, the right certifications or whatever, especially as a practice, I mean, the ABA is a, a, an applied field. It's, it's a practitioner's field. So if you mm -hmm. have the information to, mm -hmm. to pass on, why should a requirement be that you work for a university, right? You can get your paycheck mm -hmm. anywhere as long as you have what it takes to pass on the information to the next person. So sure. it was important for us to address you know, there are a lot of qualified people out there that can be approved content providers that have nothing to do with colleges or universities. And as mm. long as we, um, you know, can maintain uh, some semblance of a gatekeeper to these qualifications, then then let's then that 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 opens exponentially the uh, number of of options and possibilities where they didn't exist before. Um, and in doing that, you know, if there's no options or one option, they're, they're, they're going to set the cost. Like IBAO doesn't tell, you know, content providers what to charge. But if, right. if there's competition, right, there's a free market effect that should drive costs down. And then people who are seeking different options have different options to, to choose from and they can, you know, they can go by cost if that's. The main consideration. Hmm. So, because we, uh, really good point. So we talked early on about sort of the master's degree being, you know, 
that requirement for the BCBA and and all the efforts that take. Uh, can one get a behavior analyst certification through the IBO and and not have a master's degree? Zigzag is an autism therapy management platform. At its core, Zigzag seamlessly allows management of programs, adding, editing, changing long-term and short-term objectives on the go. Zigzag makes data collection super easy for therapists on-site and automatically calculates progress, providing you with session summaries and graphs in real time. Zigzag provides you the ability to manage all of your clients, whether they be center or home-based, and work with all the various therapists and parents seamlessly. Zigzag is based in Vancouver, British Columbia, and is fully compliant with both federal and provincial privacy requirements. Book a demo now at www.zigzagkid.com forward slash product demo and get a free 30-day trial. The second secret word is Georgia. Yes, one can. So there, there's, there's a couple different, um, I guess, important uh, reasons why that's possible. Uh, mm. But the short answer is yes. Um, so let me preface this by saying uh, we're not anti-education. Um, right. I, find, <laughs> I find personally, you know, that uh, I, I'm, I'm a curious uh, individual, and I, I'm, I'm trying to consume all kinds of different things, uh, you know, regularly. Mm. So I, I appreciate it, even if they have nothing to do with our field. Uh, there's a lot of benefit to being more educated, not in some nebulous sense, but just in uh, you know, the practical sense that you, you probably have to do projects and time management and organization and mm. test taking, and you just mm. have to order your life a certain way to be successful. Um, so uh, so we're, we're pro-education, and I think to the extent that people can be as educated as possible, they should be. Um, that being said, uh, there are a lot of places uh, where the educational system around the world doesn't line up very well with the United States educational system. Um, yes. And that causes the, you know, our, our predecessors, if you will, to deny uh certain people from even in, you know, uh, not applying with their applications get rejected. There are places that don't have a four year bachelor's degree, a two years master's degree, and then, mm. you know, another right. two, two to four or five right. year uh, uh, doctorate. Some of these are hybrid programs. Some quote unquote bachelor's degrees are three years in places. Some master's degrees mm -hmm. are four years total because places, a lot of folks don't take, you know, first two years of, uh, humanities and literature and foreign language and all the kind of classes that you take in a U.S. university before you get to your actual mm -hmm. major of study, you just hit the ground running. So there's, you know, there's incompatibility for one that we're trying to be flexible with and acknowledge that the educational system somebody has is the educational system in their area. So why hold them to a standard that they literally can't uh, control? Um, mm -hmm. The other part, the master's degree part, uh, is interesting and there are really interesting discussions around this in the advisory board coming up with the different routes to the IBA. Um, the, you know, the, the BACB has had at time, you know, sort of off and on the requirement where uh, the master's degree has to be in a quote unquote related field. That, that, mm -hmm. that in and of itself to me is interesting um, mm. because related being in the related field is really kind of defined as education, special education, psychology in general, 
um, whatever, sure. but how, how, how related or how relevant uh, are those programs? I, I don't know. You can, you can right. make an argument probably for or against. I, I lean a little bit more towards the against because what it is we do is, is a, is a subspecialty. It's a very niche area within, even within behavioral psychology. Um, so to say, you know, someone has education experience, general education experience, you know, out of the box, special education experience. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people and I have some firsthand knowledge that most special education programs, they don't go into ABA. It may be mentioned as an intervention mm -hmm. approach or whatever, but there, mm -hmm. this is not, mm -hmm. you don't, you don't learn mm -hmm. about motivating operations in, in special education classes. Um, no, nope. you certainly don't in general ed. Um, I wish I had better numbers, but my feeling is the overwhelming majority of master's degrees in psychology are probably anti-theoretical, anti-philosophical to apply behavior analysis. Yep. Um, yep. So you're checking a box, a lot of folks, that is irrelevant to the very subspecialty that we're being certified in. Um, I, I have yep. my own. So like, uh, we've had the consultation company. As I talked about that uh, since 2005, and I've largely been the one to do the hiring. And for a long time, it didn't matter if people had BCBA or not, because it, it was a new thing. It was nice if you had it, but it wasn't a must mm -hmm. because it was more about rapport and mm -hmm. analytical skills, whatever. Um, but we had this person who was a master's uh, BCBA. She was awesome. Great with kids, great with parents, could handle herself in a room you know, full of attorneys and everything else. Her master's degree was in physical education. She was literally a tennis pro, got hurt, got into this field, did the, at the time, it was probably like a four or five course sequence. And she was awesome. She was a master's BCBA. Yeah. And if you see that, you know, I think, I think people just commonly assume, oh, your master's degree is in this field that you have this specialty in. And it's not. It might be more now. In, in fact, I, I would, I would bet that as, you know, as we continue, as behavior analysis in the U.S. continues, that there will be more and more people whose master's degrees are in ABA because there's more and more ABA master's programs. Uh, these things didn't exist before. And if they did, they were few and far between. Yep. Um, you know, Western Michigan being being one of, even going back to, uh, you know, when I was going into graduate school, Western Michigan University probably had the only, that I recall offhand, uh, the only master's level ABA track that was available. Maybe, maybe mm -hmm. I had one. There, there probably were a couple others, but it's the only one that, that, that I remember off. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so if, if the master's degree, even in a quote unquote related field, doesn't really add any value specifically to ABA, not any value period, mm -hmm. just specifically to ABA, uh, then why, then why yep. is it important? And during the times when the yep. related field at all condition is not even present, right? You can have a, master's degree in history. You can have a master's degree in business administration, uh, sociology, dentistry, like who cares if it's not really specifically geared towards this, then I, I do feel like mm -hmm. there's just kind of this weird artificial, uh, inflation of degrees that are, uh, that people assume the general population may assume, assume is directly related to what it is we specialize in. And it's really not mm -hmm. it really is literally it, it not. So, People get their education from a verified course sequence. They get it from the required yes. hours. And that's the important part. Those exactly. 270, 315 now, that those are the numbers uh, of hours specifically in the field that you're being certified in. Um, 
again, it's not that there's no value. It's not that there's no help. Uh, if you can get a master's in ABA, you should. That's that's awesome. Um, that doesn't exist mm-hmm. in most places. It's it's becoming more and more ubiquitous right. here, but it doesn't exist in most places. And even historically here, it hasn't. You know, it's just there's been a ramping up uh, over time. But it's mm-hmm. um, you know, so when you when you peel apart that particular requirement, how does it? How does that specifically benefit? the candidate who's seeking to become a behavior analyst. If really all of the information relevant to the exam and the practice and the supervision and the the knowledge and what it is they're going to do, uh, you know, when they provide services comes from this select group of classes, then why isn't that just that select group of classes in and of itself, what it is, the requirement is. And that's basically that sort of way of thinking is what led to us to say, if you have a master's degree, you can get this, core amount of ABA content. If you don't have a master's degree, you can get this core amount of ABA content because that's what the certification is about. That's what it is we're doing. It's not a yep. general yep. intelligence test. It's not a, um, you know, academic, uh, you know, kind of everybody put their uh, degrees on the line type of thing. No, it, 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 what is it? if it's not relevant to this particular field, then why are we, concerned with that as a requirement for a very specific certification. Hmm. Hmm. No, really, really, really good point. So I'm with you. I, I, I won't keep going on the master's degree thing, but I'm definitely on the same page, just in consideration of time. There's kind of three areas I kind of wanted to get into. Uh, hopefully we can touch on them all before we run out of time here. Uh, one, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind hearing if you, if you mind telling focus a little bit about the, the, the professional advisory board, because I think obviously that's been, you know, beyond integral to everything you've done. This has not been, you know, Mike Mueller, uh, you know, creating the IBAO and doing all this on his own, you know, um, um, while running his consulting firm. Uh, maybe just tell me, tell us a little bit about, you know, you know, who's on the, the, the PAB in terms of not, not by name, but sort of, you know, wh- where do they come from? How many folks are on there and, and, and sort of the kind of work that these folks have been doing over the last few years. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's uh, it's important because this is not, I, I got the ball rolling and I'm extremely supportive of the people who we have, but the professional advisory board has been the one uh, to create the requirements, to create the certifications, to create the ethics guidelines, to create the uh, applications for approved content providers and CE providers, and establish the uh, every everything. Frankly, um, mm-hmm. um, so there's a there's a little bit of a history because it has uh, morphed yeah. a little bit over time relative to what our goals are and, and what it is we're doing. So initially, sure. it was um, you know some of my personal contacts that I know of behavior analysts that are or have been or do or whatever the case may be worked abroad uh, outside the U S um, mm-hmm. and uh, colleagues of colleagues and, you know, sort of friends of friends, but all, all behavior analysts. And the initial goal was again, to try to understand the difficulties the international community faces when seeking certification. Um, and mm-hmm. how can we address those as we go forward and, and create our own certifications. Uh, so the, the first iteration really was uh, 45 or so people from, I think, 20, 23 different countries. You're included in that. Uh, very, very uh, grateful for that. 
Uh, and it was a very creative process. It was a very creative process because it was at the, the, the first question is, well, what certifications are needed? And, and if you remember mm -hmm. back to some of these early discussions, it was like, well, you know, we need something that's, uh, that's sort of RVT level. Some people wanted, uh, you know, the DC ABA kind of level. Other people were yep. pushing for a BCBA D type of level. Uh, people wanted really specific autism related certifications. Uh, and yes. then people like you, part of your voice was, I don't work with that. I don't do early intervention. Like I'm in the public schools doing PBS, um, you know, there, mm -hmm. and, you know, so it was like, if you remember, we tried to block out our, our history, even though it's impossible and say, like, forget everything that the BACD has done. Like, what do we need? What's important? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this too, but there were, there were discussions about like, let's have real, you know, basic, just uh, ABA certifications. And then on top of that, you could have an autism kind of writer, an OBM writer, PBS yes, writer, I remember that. Yeah. which I thought was a really clever idea because it would establish sort of empirically what you need to do to change from one kind of subspecialty to the next. So if you want to do pediatric feeding and you've mm -hmm. been consulting in office buildings or whatever else, helping human resources do OBM stuff, can you just switch from one to the next? And I don't know that there's super mm -hmm. clear guidelines. I know that you know, you're supposed to study and practice and consult, but that's, that's kind of a, mm -hmm. that's a very vague uh, idea for a lot of people, for mm -hmm. me too. So what would you have to do to establish these other sub-certifications? Um, which would yep. better allow someone to the, the community to, to appreciate where it is your training and, and focus is that. Uh, so, but, you know, after all the, after all the, the dialogue and discussion and debate, we obviously landed on, you know, two different certifications. Um, nobody mm. felt like there was a need to have a BCBAD uh, type mm. certification because as far as I know, there's literally no difference, uh, I drank the Kool-Aid. I have a D. I, I got the. I, 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 yeah. I bought the D. Um, yeah. But it, I've always just thought it was really redundant. Like especially when you look at <laughs> the initials after people's names. Like these, the PhD comes before the BCBA, so who cares? Uh, yet, here, here, yeah. Here I sit with the D. Um, so when we try, but when we, <laughs> but when we, you know, kind of boiled that stuff away, I was like, no, that's not important. The same thing with the assistant yeah. level. If we have a non-master's route, then why also have a different distinction for some, you know, assistant, associate level, whatever it's called? So that didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, and then, you know, mm -hmm. we, we formed committees to set about um, creating the different requirements and what's important and what's not and yep. uh, uh, ethics and, and everything, everything that came after that. And I, I, I got to say, I mean, I was involved in, in the different committees and um, what a, a fun, creative professional, uh, low, low drama, uh, you know, experience. Yep. I mean, you really have people, different cultures, different, everything all over the world. Most of us never met all, all mm -hmm. kind of coming together, um, to, to lay out our, uh, our thoughts and opinions and, and histories and experience like this. And there was, there was no, there was no, like, you know, Nobody sticking their feet in the ground and uh, saying that my way, the highway, or I don't want to be part of this. I mean, it was very, very collegial, very professional, very respectful. Um, yes. It was a, and the end result, uh, as a group of good listeners, was you know you don't have to agree with everything, 
uh, although most people did uh, in pretty much mm-hmm. uh, everything once you kind of hash things out, especially with the idea of how we're trying to solve these existing problems, things made sense. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, as it relates to the professional advisory board, they were very, very concrete roles for a certain period of time. Uh, and then, you know, the required educational objectives and the training standards and all the different things that were being created were created. Mm-hmm. So then the roles kind of shifted a little bit to uh, just education and dissemination and, you know, use contacts to try to establish uh, as many connections as possible. Some were very fruitful. Yep. Some were total dead ends. Um, and yep. uh, then, you know, sort of after that became the, the big drive was translation. So we have everything in English. Mm. Now we have uh, other language groups. Um uh, German, Turkish, Filipino, Spanish, Portuguese, French, Hindi, Hungarian, I'm looking at my list, Italian, Japanese, wow. Lithuanian, Nepali, Romanian, Russian, Arabic, Chinese, all of these, hmm. all of the documents, all of the requirements, all these kind of things are translated into those languages. Um, That's we amazing. have 17 languages of uh, continuing education providers. And the list is growing. I mean, hmm. so this is like, there's been this really cool um kind of grassroots efforts and not to be cheesy about it, but there's that cliche, like think globally, act globally. This is literally what has happened because Mm. the language groups that we've had, the people who are putting in the effort to do this want to do it because they care about the community that they are in and they want to see people be able to know what to do. And they want to see people be able to be successful uh, in their area. And as these, uh, you know, as, as these different groups do that, that's exactly what's being created. We have, the exam right now is in uh, uh, currently available in English, Portuguese, and Arabic, and we, we have wow. very very close uh, drafts of uh, Russian, Ukrainian, uh, Spanish, uh, French. So um, it's really it's really wild. Uh, it, you know, so part of the way that the the professional advisory board has grown is it's and changes. It's gone from the focus in the role. And the contributors have changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we've added people, uh, really, frankly, not with a specific role other than to be kind of an ambassador, a representative from an area. Um, and when, and when yep. we've needed feedback or we've had questions or, you know, what's, what's the best way to do things or how should we do, do things, it comes from an informed approach from the people who are there, right? It's not from my house in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I can, I can put some meetings together and I can, I can, you know, weigh, you know, weigh in on, on different things, but these are, uh, these are really localized groups that have decision-making yeah. power and in, 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 in direction behind them. No, oh, that's awesome. And I mean, I, th- I think, and I'm, and I, as, as I'm sure, you know, I think one thing you've, you've also done sort of, you know, maybe unintentionally, but, um, is, You've really created a world, a community, an international community of behavior analysts. I mean, there, there, there always was, you know, you know, ABAI is always is called ABA International, and and you know, and, and they do have that the odd conference in some maybe European country and every now and then, um, uh, but you know, it's still really an American organization, you know, 
primarily English and and primarily run by you know um, um, you know um, uh, American folk with the odd sort of international rep here and there. But this this professional advisory board has really become sort of an unofficial, you know, um, um, I don't know. it's it's a community. It's an international community of, of behavior analysts. Like I, I just to sit in a meeting with someone from just early, in the early stages. I was sitting in a meeting with someone from Japan and someone from India and someone from Germany and and someone in Brazil and just to, just just the the networking opportunities alone for all of these folks uh um you know um i'm sure has been just probably the biggest reinforcer of all for a lot of these folks oh i mean it has been it has been for me personally uh yeah you know the you, you know, i don't know my my experience working with people is like you know you get uh you get friendly with them you feel like you know them i mean i've <laughs> anybody on the advisory board, if I'm, or, you know, where they are, uh, I will, you know, mm-hmm. be happy to take them out for dinner or, or drinks or, you know, hang out and, 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 you know, just, you know, kind of bond with them in a professional and, and kind of non, non-professional setting. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. It, it, the, the, the large, especially early on with like some of the larger Zoom meetings, when you really do have, people from 15 different places. It just feels like the world is a much smaller place than when you, you know, you see everything on a map, you have all these people in the room, um, getting along, sharing more or less the same experiences. It's like, it's it's different. The, the, the experiences are different in different places, but big picture, the issues that Mm -hmm. people face in these different areas is shockingly, it was at least shockingly similar. Um, that was one of the, like, I guess kind of the biggest surprises, um, as we talk to people all over the world is really how similar their experiences were related to obtaining other certifications and mm-hmm. ABA infrastructure, uh, lack of recognition, um, funding sources, all of these things. Um, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, uh, ABA in the U S is, is sort of the most progressive, uh, and, and has the longest history, there's other places around the world who are literally just getting started. Um, which is, yeah. it, it, it is discouraging for some in, in one kind of point of view, but it's also, I think it also allows people to learn from what's happened here in the U S, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is also a little bit strange too, because I know I've talked to people and I'm sure you have too, or it's like people are striving towards national recognition, meaning they want to be recognized as a profession in their country, right? Yeah. They want they want to establish their yes. own category of, or for what it is we do, especially as service providers. And typically what that means is government regulation. It's licensure, basically. That's yep. what that's sort of the ultimate goal. And you say, well, you know, a different way to think about that is even here in the US, we only have about half of the states that have licensure laws for behavior analysis. Mm. Right. So that means really kind of in a way, the other half don't have official recognition and regulation from a government. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And when you kind of put it in that light, people are like, oh, wow. Yeah. So maybe it's not that it's not important, but if it's taken us this long to sort of get halfway there and there's no national, we don't have any mm-hmm. national uh, recognition and regulation. It's state by state. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. But the, 
when you look at and, and there's there's only a, a very couple, very very small not small examples, but there's only a couple examples in the rest of the world um, where they have regulation and licensure nationally. Um, yep. And if you look at the U.S. path, the path that it took was adopt certifications as the clinical educational training standard. Right. If you look mm-hmm. at every uh, existing U.S. Uh, state licensure law, the requirements to be licensed in your state is it's worded one of two ways. Either you have to have the BCBA or you have to have the BCBA and mm-hmm. or another accredited uh, certification of behavior analysis. Uh, it, so mm-hmm. these the, the idea of getting from one to the other is, is not well documented. The, the using certifications to advance uh, and, and use use that standard to then kind of pick right. it back on for national regulation has been very well established. So there's no there's no competition between those seeking certification and those with the goal of whatever comes after that. These are these can be very very uh, complementary um, activities. Hmm. Right on. Um, you, you mentioned accreditation there. I think early on, I don't know if it's still the case now, but one of the there there, there were a lot of criticisms when 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 the IBAL yeah. sort of first sort of came on the scene, um, which is you know interesting in that sort of you know and and I'm I'm not looking to sort of you know. Uh, badmouth these other organizations but once the BACB you know said we're not going to do this anymore um well obviously someone had to do something um or we're saying that only North America can have behavior analysts um and and, and I don't think anyone thought that should be the case um and yet there was so much pushback about initially about the IBAO because it wasn't accredited. Yeah, um, it's not accredited, and 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 you can only be a sort of you know can only be you're only, you're only useful if you're accredited. I th- I think, but I think folks don't realize sort of, you know, the history, mm-hmm. you know, especially of, of sort of the BACB. I, I'm wondering if you just talk a little bit about what accreditation actually means. You know, and, and, and the process of getting it, and and sort of you know, and c- comparing that sort of to sort of the other currently accredited, uh, you know. There is a lack of diversity when it comes to educational material depicting black children in the field of applied behavior analysis. Human Expressions gives black and brown children realistic and detailed images of kids who look like them modeling everyday skills that may be difficult for them to communicate or express. At Human Expressions, the benefits of representation for black and brown kids in educational curricula are clear. Increased self-esteem, reducing stereotypes, and increased validation and support. To learn more, go to www.humanexpressions.org. That's human, H-U-E-M-A-N, expressions.org. The second secret word is Georgia. The third secret word is credit. Yeah, sure. It's important. Uh, it's important. It's, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, this is, this is my, uh, my true feelings on the matter, is most of the people who yeah. ask this question have no idea what they're asking about. Um, anybody right. who asked this question uh, in the first six months 
that we were organized has no idea what they're asking about. Um, mm-hmm. Historic, and the reason why is it's a very in-depth process. It's a process that takes years. Mm-hmm. You have to have um, mm-hmm. you have to have a lot of things in place, documented, audited, evaluated, and it takes a lot of time. So the BACB mm-hmm. um, started in 1998. They were accredited in 2008. Ten years. Ten mm. years, right? So hmm. my BCBA, which I got in 2002, I did not get when the BACB was accredited. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the QABA, which started in 2012, right? They got, uh, right. They got accreditation for their certifications in 2020, eight years. Yep. Eight, eight yep. years. So we have, uh, we have eight years and, and 10 years, respectively. Uh, for the other two organizations that uh, provide certifications of behavior analysis. Mm-hmm. So for someone to say, mm-hmm. you know, six months in, a year in, like it's a knock on us that we're not accredited, doesn't understand the process. They don't understand what they're at. They don't understand right. what they're asking about. Uh, right. The timing alone tells you that much. Um, so it's impo- it would be impossible for us to be accredited right now. Uh, mm-hmm. We feel it's important. We're taking all the right steps. We have an accreditation committee within the professional advisory board, three people of which are obtained certifications in the accreditation process. Um, we have, we are following all the steps, um, literally, uh, you know, before we even formed the organization, um, we knew the importance cause we were, but, uh, we were aware of the importance uh, of this right out of the gate. Not that you can get it out of the gate, but we were aware of, of mm-hmm. why. Uh, and so we, we signed up as a member of ICE um, and uh, it's Institute for Credentialing Excellence. And they have materials and courses and mm. classes and guides uh, that as you do things, you do things in roughly the way that you should do them leading to accreditation. So when you get to the point mm-hmm. you can apply, you have a more successful chance of um, being right. uh, credited. So there are, it's essentially like, uh, it's an audit more or less to make sure that your processes mm. are free of bias and you are doing things in the mm. way that you say you are doing things. And, and this is a very, very in-depth check on everything from, uh, financial legal, uh, verification. So if you say, okay, you have to have a master's degree in this route, show me the process that you go through to ensure that someone has a master's degree or experience mm-hmm. hours or whatever mm-hmm. else. There's all kinds of things. And very importantly, there are all kinds of such a psychometric uh, properties of the exam that have to be there that mm-hmm. can't even be uh, analyzed until you have hundreds of people mm-hmm. having taken the exams. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the job training analysis, um, the exam setting and the, the, I don't know if you, I can't remember right offhand if you were part of the team that did the, um, you know, the exam validity testing and all these things. There's all these different things that we've mm-hmm. done uh, to, you know, subject matter experts and generating items and all the different things that went into that. Um, all of these things are checked. And once you get to a certain point, then you can have psychometrists come in who we're, we're beginning to consult with now, even though frankly, this is still, premature. Like I talked to somebody, um, mm-hmm. uh, this week who said you're really for, for where your organization's at two to five years is a reasonable 
expectation uh, for certification. Mm. Uh, and that fits like, again, look at mm. the other, look at the other ones, but um, you know, it, it's, I don't know the right way to, to phrase like in my mind, I feel like it's like you've, you've conducted a research study, you've submitted it for publication and like it's in review. You're right. Like we're, we don't feel yes. like we've, we've done anything really out, out of whack for what uh, the accreditation process will uh, require uh, because mm-hmm. we've been following mm-hmm. the guides uh, of the accreditation bodies since, uh, since we started, but uh, it can't be something mm-hmm. that we have right now. Um, but we're continuing mm-hmm. to do things in a way uh, that are appropriate with respect to getting sort of uh, accredited. Hmm. And, and what will that mean once you're accredited? I mean, beyond the fact that, you know, you have this label that says you do all these things unbiased. I mean, if all these folks are already getting certified and countries are starting to recognize it and so on and so forth, uh, what, what, what's, 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 is, is there a benefit? There must yeah, be. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's a, it's an objective third party review that shows you are doing what you say you're doing, um, mm-hmm. that you are discriminating, uh, all the process discriminate people who are masters in this field and those who aren't your exam has mm-hmm. the, uh, capacity to kind of root out, uh, that middle area. Um, someone mm-hmm. who gets hundred percent on the exam is not in doubt, right? And someone who gets zero on the exam is not in doubt. It's the, there's a middle area, mm-hmm. so to speak, this borderline area mm-hmm. that the exam uh, has to be, uh, has to do a good job at deciding, does this person meet the minimum standards mm-hmm. in the field or not? And the accreditation process mm-hmm. at the end of this will give everybody an extra boost of confidence that we're doing that. So it's not, the accreditation process is not a requirement um, to deliver certifications. Uh, It's not a requirement Mm. period. Mm. I mean, it may be a requirement for, Mm. uh, you know, a state licensure to say, if you have this, then you can also be an LVA. That's that's neither here nor there with actual what, what the role of the certification body is. Um, but it gives people an extra boost of confidence that we are actually determining who has met the standards and who hasn't. Um, and it's just, a, it's, a, it's a third party uh, objective uh, audit and evaluation is essentially what it is at its core. It looks at everything. So I know you can't predict the future, but it, when the IBAO is accredited, um, you know, and, and, and the fact that you have sort of a pathway to certification without getting a master's degree. Um, do, you, do, you, do you see a, a time someday where maybe the, IB, the IBA credential is even recognized here in North America? Uh, or do you, yeah. or because, because, because the reason I ask that is because, you know, not, I, don't, I don't know that it's important right now, but I, I started to think about sort of, um, you know, um, uh, and we saw we're, we're seeing this a lot. I think sort of post COVID, with um, you know a lot of uh, you know a lot of professions um, you know needing people, uh, and so we're you know we're starting to see governments doing things like um, removing certain requirements from say a nurse in 
in Bangladesh to have to take special exams to be a nurse in Canada, um, you know, the equivalency or to, to, to sort of meet up to that par, um, you know. And so I wonder, and, and really, I, I, I don't, I obviously don't know the answer to this, but I wonder, you know, could we get to a point where we could have a, you know, a 20 year uh, accredited I, IBAO certified behavior analyst moving to the U.S. and continuing to be a behavior analyst without having to go get a master's degree? Uh, you know, that's that's a good question. Um, I, I do think that, um, you know, if it continues to be a state-by-state state requirement for licensure uh, or at some point, you know, country-by-country mm-hmm. country, uh, when, when people do get recognitions, there could be the expectation in some states or some areas or some countries that you mm-hmm. need a master's degree and a certification of behavior analysis. It could be the case in others mm-hmm. that you just mm-hmm. simply need the certification. So. It, it could be, uh, you know, more of a localized decision, um, mm. but yeah. it, uh, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out. Our goal is not to, uh, you know, to, to be a competitor of the BACB. Uh, right. Our, no. our, our goal is specifically an international uh, mission. But if we get the, or when, I should say, when we get the accreditation, um, and, and state mm-hmm. licensure laws uh, allow that certification to access the same, uh, you know, funding benefits as others, then that would be an option. But, uh, you know, that's not, that's not the, the forefront of our, of our thinking. We have. Uh, the- no, no, of course not. Yeah. 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 No, really cool. Really cool. So what's, uh, so we're three years in now and, uh, the BACB has officially sort of, you know, made the call for, except for some of these, a few of these countries. Um, um, uh, how's it been? Are you, are you getting, are you getting a lot of, uh, are, are we getting, are there a lot of IBA, RBAs now? Uh, you know, how, how many folks do you have uh, Well, there's about 1,900 people uh, in the platform. Uh, we're, we're getting wow. more uh, candidates. Uh, than ever before, mm-hmm. because now there are no other options. So mm-hmm. what we've seen uh, in, in, as the deadline, uh, the BACB's deadline neared is just, you know, anybody who could possibly attempt to get those was getting those. That, I mean, that was the main push. Mm-hmm. Like if you can still get, the, get in that window, then that, that was the main push. And now, uh, mm-hmm. because that's not an option, people are now pursuing mm-hmm. this option. Um, so mm-hmm. it's interesting because now there will probably be, um, you know, a lag between, between, you know, kind of registering as a candidate and then fulfilling, uh, the entire requirement package and, and sitting for the exam. But that's, mm-hmm. I mean, this is the point that we wanted to get to. This is where we want to be. Um, we've had mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of, uh, help and support and, uh, we're in good shape and I think we've done. Uh, everything uh, the way that we're that we should have done it, uh, and considered all the things that we should have mm-hmm. considered, and, and I think we're in a good place. The the different groups and the appreciation and people disseminating, you know, what it is and what it's not, uh, is growing, and uh, I'm I'm really happy with where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. I, I know you mentioned early on. I think you probably got a few more folks now, but early on you had folks from about 23 countries on your advisory board uh, that's probably higher now um but i know there's you know 
close to a couple hundred countries in the world. Um, if, uh, if, uh, folks are listening and, you know, I, I know the last time I looked at my stats, I had folks from 70 countries listening. So, um, granted there's like the one guy in Mali. So, that, <laughs> we'll but, take it. um, 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 yeah, uh, if uh, if these folks, you know, maybe wanted to get involved with the, the, the advisory board or, or just sort of, you know, start developing some things in their country or, or maybe in their language or just be involved in some way. Uh, and, um, are you open to that? And how, how would they kind of go about doing that? Yeah, of course. So right now, um, well, not right the second, but in the next month or so, uh, the professional advisory board is going to go through another kind of iteration uh, where we, we yep. still will want representatives uh, because we want voices from as many places as possible. But because of the uh, this path that we're on for accreditation, there will be more concrete roles in committees where people have more, uh, you know, expectations of uh, some level of uh, effort and engagement. And as we yep. kind of reform this, my guess is that some people who have been with us uh, during the creation period may, may not want to go through that again, and they, they may want to, you know, yep. kind of drop off uh, the board. And if they do, we uh, will be eternally grateful for, you know, their their advice and their their contributions. Yep. Uh, we'll get some new people in. Um, the size of the committees and the, the specific expectations are, are still will still you know be being ironed out over the next month or two. Um, so yeah, the, the short answer is yes. Anybody that wants to uh, contribute, uh, wants to have their voice heard, wants to represent uh, you know, where they are, uh, that both translation and information other ways, they would either, uh, or they can probably just email me directly. And it's mmuller at theibao.com. So M-M-U-E-L-L-E-R at theibao.com or info at... Um, and, and we can go from there, but yeah, we, uh, I mean, there, there's, there's a balance and I don't, I don't know the formula, but there's a balance. Like we don't, we don't need 500 people on the advisory board. Um, right. So, uh, it depends on what it is we're doing. And as we talk to the, you know, consultants that are helping us kind of line up the accreditation, uh, parts correctly, there, there are parts that will eventually need X amount of people in a certain place for, subject matter experts and uh, standard setting and things like that yep. for the specific translated uh, exams. Um, but we're, we're not, we're not to that point, but we will need in some places, definitely more than one. We'll need a team. Um, but yeah, but anybody interested, we are, um, we're happy to have conversations and form and see if it's a good fit and go forward. Yeah. Well, no, some people just might want to network. And I think, I, I guess, I, I, you, you have a membership directory as well. So if folks just want to find, you know, colleagues in other parts of the world. They can, we can go on, they can go on the website and, and track folks down that way too, right? Uh, I mean, there, we have a directory. I don't know that it, uh, it's possible to get direct contact information from there. I don't think mm. your emails are just right. right. Probably a bad idea if they are, but uh, I, don't, I don't think so. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, but you, but I can find you know so and so's name and what country they're yes. from, and know there's a behavior analyst maybe in the country next door that I could reach. Yeah, out. absolutely. And if someone says, "Hey, how can I get a hold of this yeah. person?" We would be happy to go to that person yeah. and say, "Hey, so and so uh, wants to get a hold of you. Yeah. If you're if, if you're Perfect. cool with that, we can pass Perfect. it on." Perfect. That's amazing. 
Well, Mike, I, I know I know personally that, that there's many, many people in the world that are grateful to you and the, and the PAB for developing this. Um, something I, I will say, you know, there was a lot of criticism early on. I haven't seen much of that at all these no. days. In fact, I've seen the opposite. I've seen so much more support, especially just here in North America. There's a lot more. I've seen a lot more BCBAs that have the IBA after yep. their name now that are clearly showing that support. They don't need it. There's no reason to get it, yep. you know, beyond you know, I think supporting the cause and 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 understanding that we're a we're a global community, um, and so you know, really impressed with what's happened in just three years, and uh, it'll be incredible to see where we are in ten years, fifteen years, and that sort of thing. It's it's going to be quite amazing, I think. So, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. There there are a lot of people who uh, are adding the certification. I I think it's a show of solidarity. It's a it's a, it's a show of kind of exactly. global unity. Um, yeah, it's awesome. I agree. There's a, there's a ton of support. It yeah. feels really good in the direction yeah. that it's going. And um, so you've been you were you were a, a, a good part of this. You're you had you had very influential um, ideas and decisions and opinions that I think were very well respected. And um, as a public thank you, I know we've done it. You know, uh, on our side meetings and things like that. But um, yeah, we we wouldn't have what we have without you. And, and colleagues like me, so it's yeah. uh, it, it's awesome. Wow, thank you again. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. And definitely, once uh, you know, maybe in a few years, when we're when there's more uh, some some other cool things happening, we'll bring it back on and get an IBAO update. Anytime, let me know. I, I appreciate the opportunity to get this info awesome. out. And um, thanks again. Appreciate it, Dan. Great. Well, thanks for being on the right. show. Thank you.